0: Door to Door teaches you that perspective about business, whereas everyone else I know that's tried to start their business and I coach a lot of people, they're all about trying to cherry pick the three people in town who are their ideal client rather than just going and talking to the whole town where they're going to refine their pitch. They're going to find out what's good and bad about it. They're going to get better at selling. They're going to refine the way they talk about the product uh, and they're going to get lucky. They're going to bump into a few people who just buy because they're in the right spot at the right time. Um, So yeah, you should take your pride and your ability to give a great pitch every time while hearing no 90% of the time, and then you can literally start any business you want.
1: Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm really excited for this episode. I know every single time I say that, I think of how often I say it, but it's totally true. Like I get to talk to the coolest people and that makes me really excited for every single episode. And My guest today is no exception. Today I have the honor of speaking with Andrew Myers. He began in sales and marketing at 16 years old, selling toys door to door and eventually stumbled into the world of selling cars at staffed event sales all over the country. Both jobs required this keen understanding of short, succinct, powerful sales language that worked more often than not. In 2008, he explored a passion for making videos and successfully started a nationally recognized custom video studio with his brother in the heart of Seattle that was focused on the automotive industry and creating strong sales optimized videos. What's Next Media was later purchased by an automotive advertising company. He has combined his knowledge of selling, To people not selling products and a videographer's storytelling ability. And he's compiled an extensive library of tips, tricks, and examples to help anyone with a cell phone make videos that don't suck, which we all love, um, that influence prospects and provide a more engaging experience. You guys know I just recently talked about this in an episode about how we're constantly being bombarded with crap from messages and videos and intros and all this stuff that everybody's being told what to do. And I'm really excited to dig into a conversation with someone. About how to do it the right way. Before I bring Andrew into the episode, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Book Club. If you are the type of person who wants more accountability with reading, who wants to not only connect with other readers but also learn from what they take out of what you're reading, and as that cherry on top, connect with the author of every single book that we read, then the Design Your Life Book Club is for you. Click the Calendly link below and let's have a conversation conversation. conversation about whether it's a good fit. If you are listening to this in the Success Center community, please feel free to jump into the conversation. I will do my best to bring in your comments and make you a part of the amazing interview we're going to have with Andrew. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get this show on the road. Andrew, what's up, man?
0: How are you doing? Amber, how are you? I want to be the first person you admit to being, you know, lukewarm excited to talk about. That's my new goal in life. I can't do <laughs> it.
1: And it's so crazy because do you ever find yourself like starting something? Um, it could be a video, it could be um, a sales conversation, it could be whatever. And you realize, like, I always start everything thing this way. You have to say and the like, same thing. It's yeah, so true. I like,
0: am that person that will go through the unlimited lengths to just say something different than I said it last time. Like I've been on a lot of these podcasts and I had this story I kept telling. And I just kept changing the variables to so be different every time. And somebody's like, why, why do you keep doing that? I'm like, I just, I hate saying the same thing yeah. the same way. It's crazy. And it's like, it's so crazy because so many times you
1: hear people say, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for the guest. And we're like, yeah, sure you are. Um, yeah. and, and so that's what pops in my head is like, I really need to let these people know I'm really excited. Like, it's not just something yeah. that I say. So, or anyway, you just got
0: to gotta bring in some sandbaggers and be like, I I'm know. all right. We'll see how they I'm, do. I'm that way right we know. I'm excited.
1: Like, yeah. We'll just, see. Yeah. Maybe we'll I should see. start up by saying, I'm going to let you know how I feel about this episode when we're done. After, and then yeah. we go I'm going to give
0: this bozo a shot. That's all I can <laughs> promise. And then we'll see where he does I love it. it. I love it.
1: (laughs) So let's start with just letting everybody get to know you just a little bit, which um, I'm sure is going to be entertaining. I always ask, again, the same question to get us started. And it is, what was like 12, 13, 14-year-old Andrew? What did he think that the world was going to be like? What did you think your life was going to look like?
0: Yeah, I... um this is going to sound vain, but 12 or 13 year old me would be so proud of current me. It's not funny. Um One of the that. things, one of the things I talk about on uh, a lot with people is the ability to project a decision maker in your life that's more important than you. So when I was very young, there was people who I didn't know how to act. I grew up an introvert, became an extra, you know, the extrovert. And in the beginning, I would say things to myself like, well, what would Quincy do? Like, I'm too nervous. I, you know, my head's full of rejection worries or whatever, but Quincy, now Quincy, he'd walk right over there and say this or do that. And uh, eventually I replaced Quincy with me, a 30-year-old version of me. Of course, now I'm 38. But so I started making all of my decisions about what would 30-year-old me like me to do, you know? And uh, man, let me tell you, that is maybe the best advice anyone could have. Um, But 12-year-old me, honestly, um, the only thing that I really cared about, I remember saying this to somebody, I want to be so good at something that when somebody hires me to do it, I'm better than they are. So like I've got a guy outside doing a patio right now and I was watching him like a Hawk for the first day. And this, and then I noticed he was out there getting ready to lay the things and he's like scraping off the edge and he's done. And I noticed how deftly he was moving the sand around with his hand. And I thought, well, I'm done watching him. He definitely knows more about patios than me. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted my boss to say this needs to be done and then just walk away. Cause he had no idea how to do it. Um, and that was, that is exactly, you know, kind of where I've ended up. And at 14, I was just, I was too naive. I didn't understand business and I didn't understand how to make revenue. I didn't understand why the the girl who owned the chiropractor shop owned it. You know, my mom had a job. They owned a bit. I I thought maybe, I mean, I didn't think about it, but I guess I would have thought maybe the government was handing out businesses or whatever. (laughs) Um, So, you know, 12 or 13-year-old me just wanted to be autonomous because I came from a place where everybody, you know, they traded their teacher for a boss and, you know, their boss for a a not very functional relationship with somebody who also talked at, at them rather than to them. And it was just everybody had, everybody I knew had people with fingers in their life, controlling them. And I wanted... Uh, I wanted autonomy. I wanted to be able to switch on a dime. And the other thing I remember literally describing at that age was I didn't want to schedule. I want If there was 40 hours worth of work to do, I wanted the option to do two 20-hour days in a row and take five days off. <laughs> I didn't want yeah. to have to come in every day for six hours or eight hours or whatever, right? So uh, those two North Stars of just simply being the best at what I did so people just cut me loose to do it and and being cut loose to do it so that I could do it on my own time frame. Um were ended up being ended up being key. They're good. They're good North Stars to aim for.
1: Yeah, they really are. And I want to dig into each of those. But before we do, I have to ask, because nothing that you just mentioned screams military. Like the military doesn't scream freedom (laughs) and no No. schedule and your boss just telling you what to do and then walking away. How did that person that didn't want to trade your teacher for a boss, which I love that statement, by the way, um, and wanted this freedom of schedule, how did that person end up being something as free as the military?
0: Uh, That's a good question. Um, I... Again, I make my decisions, made my decisions, as what would 30-year-old like me to do? I didn't join the military until I was 21. At that point, I'd already been in the world for six years, being other people's boss, traveling, doing this uh, door-to-door sales. Um, So I'd had a lot of experiences. And I was... I was a little too free. <laughs> <laughs> it was and the way to uh, rein
1: back. Like you got everything yeah. you wanted right in that freedom. And now you got to figure that balance. Yeah, I,
0: I had to temper it, right? Like, you know, a sword, you go, you go cold water, hot coals, cold water, hot coals. And wow. I just needed this. I needed a splash of cold water on me at 21 badly, um, <laughs> you know, and I knew I would hate it. And there was actually three different times in my life where i left something i quite enjoyed for something i knew i would hate because i had to be i had to i had to go into a cocoon so i could you know come out a butterfly not to use a corny metaphor but i needed to be in an uncomfortable place because i wasn't developing any In the comfortable place. And I wanted to redesign that comfortable place, uh, to fit, you know, an older, you know, whatever version of me. Um, so yeah, the military was one of those things where I knew it flew in the face of everything that I was. And I just assumed rightly so that that would be a very tempering experience that I would need to know. Um, you know, I didn't drive for four years. So I got all the I went from having like, you know, 17 points, like the maximum on my license to zero and a 400 beacon score to, to good credit. And so it just gave me time to slow down. And at the time, I really believed that I was going to be a writer. Um, that was one of the areas I was big into Hunter S. Thompson and everything. And I had read somewhere where Oliver Stone said that like all the characters that he had written into his books and movies were basically, um, you know, more they were all sort of taken whether as a whole or in bits from people he had met and I was like I've never met anybody that wasn't like me basically you know so I wanted to go there and you know and I did I, you know, I wanted to bunk with a guy who you know had a pet alligator and lived in Louisiana <laughs> you know his grandma was his dad and you know took him hunting what and was the uh, alligator's
1: I wanted his name I'm curious I think that you I, know us dog lovers need to know because dog I alligator know. they're the same
0: Yeah, by the time you've embraced the alligator, you know you named it, but I forgot (laughs) to ask Um, a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, I think that was the thing is I just wanted I wanted more sources because I was still also kind of doing this. What would Quincy do? And I realized, wow, there's people like individuals who will put something in your life, an idea about how to carry yourself or just what they do when they sip a cup and the way they put it down or the way they roll their eyes when somebody says something stupid. And I was stealing I was still young. Now I kind of create. I, I kind of create my own image and people kind of steal from me. But at that age, I was pure plagiarism, baby. If I did something <laughs> cool, it's because I saw somebody do it somewhere sometime and I was just adding it to my, my avatar, right? Um, so I just knew I needed more experience. Um, and then also uh, the VA home loan. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> is, I mean, yeah, is, all good yes. reasons. All good yeah, reasons. I,
0: I, uh, coming from like a very poverty-based place in Elkhart, Indiana. I thought rich people own their own home. I didn't know that you could pay it off. I just thought, you know, not rent would be like <laughs> that peg that made you a success, right? So to me, it was like that sacrifice to say, I don't know where I'll be, you know, in a year, but I know in four years, I'll be back here and I'll own my own home. And then of course, you know, life takes over and I found much better, bigger goals.
1: That's awesome. Um, I want to, like what you're talking about is, Really crazy to me because the way that you're explaining growing up this, what would Quincy do, which is blowing my mind right now because it's like an avatar for your life, right? We talk about creating this avatar for your business that you can ask, what would my ideal client do? But it's like, what would the person that is able to do the things that I want to do, what would they do? Which is a whole different way to approach life. So I love that. Um, You you said something earlier that makes me think that you came from um, a non-entrepreneurial background. Is that accurate? Um, like your mostly, parents? Mostly yes. Okay. I had so, one
0: experience with it. My mom showed up at the babysitter and was like, I quit the bank and I own a cleaning business now and I'm going to clean houses <laughs> and I don't have a boss anymore. And I was just like, you can do that. You know? um, <laughs> and so I, I did, I got hit over the head like three times. I had a friend that started a business uh, when he was 16, filled it with car parts. So I had seen it, I'd gotten glimpse of it, but it wasn't part of my community or my world.
1: So, how did this happen for you? Was there an influence outside of your family in your world that showed you what it could look like, or did you stumble across it, or what did that?
0: Yeah. What you, well, I think what happens is in life, you normally have the ability, especially when you're young and you don't have your head full of a lot of other things. Uh, you you go, hey, man, you know, my dad drank, so I'm never going to drink, or I'm always going to drink. You kind of always learn, you know, you kind of learn from your parents in terms of I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to do that. And with, whether it was my parents or my teachers or everyone around me, I just thought, I don't want their life. I don't want this. You know, I don't. I, I got to do something different. And so I was always kind of like looking for a way to to es- literally like escape from Indiana and like have a different, broader life. But if you've never done that, if you've never traveled, if you've never met people that are in different situations, then you don't know. How, it, it's like telling yourself a fictional story about Narnia or something. It's like, does this exist? <laughs> are people doing this? I don't know. Um, what, what did it for me was, um, I was terrible in school. I mean, I didn't get a single credit past like <laughs> sophomore year. Um, but in eighth grade, I'd passed the placement test. So I shouldn't even have been there. I mean, I could have, gra- I got passed the, the seniors graduating placement test in eighth grade. And I just, you know, sat around doing nothing. Um, so what <laughs> happened was I eventually, the, the, I got expelled from school at 16 and I went out and started selling toys. And I remember I actually applied for a job thinking I was going to be the warehouse manager. And next thing I know, this this girl's filling all and I'm trying to understand what she's doing. I'm like, they're on an interview. I'm thinking we're going to wholesale these toys maybe to like a dollar store. Next thing I know, she pulls over such stuff in them all in this Samsonite leather bag. And we're going in and out of Best Buy and every other store. <laughs> and everyone told her no, you know, now, 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 no. Except for the like one in 20 who said yes. And that's how she made her living. She didn't try to convince all 20 to buy. She just exposed which is the grand lesson that's taken me everywhere in life, is that sales is not the ability to close the next customer. It's the ability to fill your pipeline. And so I became really good at understanding how to hear and know, how to talk to a lot of people in a day, how to figure out what I wanted and what would need to happen to get it and make people turn me down several times in between there. And that took me all over the country uh, as a trainer for this cult that sold toys. And little by little, I started meeting people who were very different than anybody I had met, who didn't think about things the same way who if they had achieved my life's goals would be terribly disappointed in themselves, you know, and vice versa. They had a way with women. They had a way on the phone when the bills would come and they, you know, they'd end up yelling at Sprint. Sprint would give them a credit. And I'm like, uh, you know, you can do that. (laughs) Um, So I just went into this like six year phase where I'm like, you can do that. You know Um, the opposite of Dave Chappelle's. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, that was it. I just, I added a whole cast of Quincy's and that was really what it came down to was that I was able to then, uh, cause the whole point of that exercise is that where you lack the confidence to do something, but you know, you'd like to see it done or you lack the whatever bravado or whatever, uh, maybe the empathy, right? Maybe somebody, maybe you hurt somebody's feelings and you're not inclined to care, but you'd think like, you know, what would Amber do? Um, so I needed to fill my head with more things I could aim at, Things like the parent analogy again. Things I can say. I want to be like that, and less things that I was running from, trying to get away from. And that's sort of how the evolution happened, um, where you just start learning. Man, people have things, and I want those things. And a lot of it was like purpose in their life, respect from people, a way they carried themselves that was both firm and gentle. And you know, I'm just over here trying to like write my own screenplay with me as the main <laughs> the main actor in it, right? And uh, so that's, that's where all the lessons came from is just not jealousy, but just, you know, wow, look at that. That's good. And I'm not as old as that person. And so I, I'm, I want that. I'm going to add that to the dream board.
1: You know, if you don't have a book in the works right now, that's called my cast of Quincy's, I'm going to be really disappointed
0: because <laughs> that own. like
1: needs to happen. Um, I think that that's amazing. So Here's one of the things that That is a good because, book.
0: You just you could you could talk each one's a chapter. I'm oh, telling
1: wow. you, like yeah. it okay. needs to happen soon cuz like that's perfect. Um so anyways, anybody listening, it's not happening soon. Definitely yeah, I already copyrighted no plagiarism, it. Like it's yeah. done. Um no. Uh so the more I talk to people who have a background in door-to-door sales, um, the more I regret the fact that I don't. And it's one of like the biggest things that I avoided my entire life. Um, I grew up very um, trading your teacher for bosses, like you said. Mm -hmm. Very, You you don't start your own business. And it's crazy because my dad had his own business and my mom was like, you don't do that. And that's what I remember. Um, And every single person I talk about what was it that caused you to be able to have what you have now? And it is always door to door cells and the skills that you have with being willing to be shot down over and over and over, yep. and, over and over again and learn. Well, and I, I've said insane. this a
0: lot, but this is, this is the part nobody understands is there's two things that happen when you get used to hearing no, you learn how to carry yourself in the face of a no. Right. And, and you learn how to take a no on the chin and realize, all right, it's not going to hurt me. That obviously is valuable. But the biggest thing is you learn how to trial close. You learn how to fail at selling without actually hearing no, per se. And so when you learn to trial close and you use your empathy to really understand where somebody's at, to this day, I don't ever, I don't close people. Like I've had people who sit in my business and sit on a webinar with me. And it's a, you know, it's a phone call that'll make me 75 grand if it goes well. And I chat at them until the person goes, all right, so you're going to send me an agreement or what are we doing <laughs> Because I'm not going to go. So do you want to do it? And then then maybe they say no. So you actually learn to be, you learn to do your sales job without actually prompting somebody to go, nah, I think I'll pass. There's little tricks like saying, so you like that? And they go, yeah. And you go, so did you want two sets or will that one work? Now, I never actually asked you if you wanted to buy anything. I've assumed the sale. So you kind of learn how to trap people in these positions where uh, you can say yes. But in other words, you learn to create a maybe zone. And that's where sales is. If you're no or yes, your job is done. The maybe is where sales live. And so you talk to somebody who believes they're a great salesman, and invariably, they believe they can sell that next person you put in front of them with their great skill. But what really makes that skill great is, is catching them 10,000 no's on the chin, Um, And what really makes a salesperson great isn't selling the next person, it's having a view of the battlefield where you know how to keep people in that maybe zone and you know how to process their interest and propose the product in the best light and use the impulse factors. need uh you have uh, fear loss which is a big one this product won't be here forever you have sense of urgency you don't have a lot of time to decide you have greed factor which is telling them how everyone else already acted on the deal hey you know the guy over here he bought one for his wife and you have indifference of attitude which is like do it or don't do it and you actually can create this sort of impulsive opportunity for somebody to buy and if they don't take it they don't take it so that's a no but they never said no um so yeah you learn how to deal with no And you learn how to avoid no's by being good at trial questions and stuff like that. But there's not many sales guys. If you, not many people look at their ability to hear no as the key to their business. And and the people who go door to door, they do. So like when I started in car sales, everyone was standing around and I'm watching, I'm doing my projections in my head. Like how many demos will I have to do to sell this many? How am I going to get those people here? And while everybody was standing there watching the windows, the first day I started, I printed a little uh, business card that said like, I'll wash your car for free, bring it by the dealership. And I would go around town and pass those out when I wasn't next up for a customer. And then I come back and I'd call everybody in the classified ads. So literally the entire day I was in front of somebody, they were there, they weren't really buying. And one of the old timers came up to me and said, like, the odds of any of those people buying a car are extremely low. And I went, yeah, that's why I do about 30 or 40 a day. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, so if I close 5% of them, that's two deals a day, you don't sell two a day. And I could see it like, thing, like, oh, crap, he might be right. But they don't think about, you know, I mean, like you've seen the like, 1% improvement a day, you know, you get 35% better over the year, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Uh, It's that right. So if you don't have a high percentage of closing a prospect, fine. That's great if you've got hundreds of them. And so, you know, door to door teaches you that perspective about business. Whereas everyone else I know that's tried to start their business and I coach a lot of people, they're all about trying to cherry pick the three people in town who are their ideal client rather than just going and talking to the whole town where they're going to refine their pitch. They're going to find out what's good and bad about it. They're going to get better at selling. They're going to refine the way they talk about the product uh, and they're going to get lucky. They're going to bump into a few people who just buy because they're in the right spot at the right time. Um, So, yeah, you should take your pride and your ability to give a great pitch every time while hearing no 90 percent of the time. And then you can literally start any business you want.
1: You know, it's crazy because what you just said is pure gold to begin with. But what happens with those people who are constantly only looking for that target market is those people are never who they think they are. Right. And so yeah. they're reaching out to people and they realize that their problem doesn't or their product doesn't solve the problem they think it solves. Their target market isn't who they think it is. And all of the real opportunities were over here in this zone that they completely wrote off because yep. they thought that it was going to be too much work or too many does.
0: Exactly. When we, when we were selling toys or we used to talk about the idea of a net. It was all law of averages. So your job was to go to a small town like Warsaw, Indiana, and there's 400 people there and you want to talk to all of them. And so it's kind of a cult. It's almost like a religion. It takes a lot of faith in the numbers in order to do it. So we would tell people, don't cherry pick. Don't drive to the lady who talks to you every time you're in town. Talk to everybody. And so I would firmly show the trainees, I'm as committed to getting my nose as I am yeses. I don't, I'm not here to get yeses. I'm here to get noes, Because if I get 280 of those, I always make the amount of money that I need to make. So there'd be times when like a bank would be 60 yards down the road. And that bank has never let me in. I've never pitched anybody. I've never had any success there, but I believed that it was important to go get that no from that bank every time because that was my worldview. Then one day, for whatever reason, I'm having the worst day. I go down to the bank, sell $220 of the stuff in their parking lot, right? And if I had skipped it that day, so it does, it sort of gives you this literally real world working faith in the law of averages. And you don't want to cherry pick. You don't want, because another thing that you sort of hinted at the person who you think is perfect for your client they, or your product, they might not agree. Yeah. And when you've sold 27 purple bear clocks in a day and you go back and recap, you realize there was no perfect buyer for this. One lady liked yeah. bears, one lady liked purple. Some other person didn't have a clock in their office and needed one. You know, I told people like, dude, these are two for five. Wait till you're in a bad mood and just smash one in the trash. You'll feel that it's worth 250 right there. And they're like, okay, like the dumbest reason ever. So you realize your ideal client may not may not be the bulk of your client list. A lot of them will be there for weird reasons. And it's your job to give the, the best presentation of your opportunity to as many people as you can for a reason. Target them. But then take scoop off what you can get and go on your way. And I've, I've really not, I've coached a lot of people on their business. And I've had a lot of people not come back to me when I tell them to go here 20 no, go here, no 20 times. And they're like, huh? Because they built this business to hear yes, not to hear no. And the only ones I've ever, I've only had two people that have actually gotten past that part in the last year here. And they do, they set out to hear no, and they start finding out more about who their target customer is, about what the most attractive parts of their product are, where they're losing people in the pitch. And, you know, before they get to 20, they've got five yeses and they have they got to go to work now. They don't have time to prospect. You know, they got to go do the business. So yeah, it is, it is all about perspective. The same actions taken from a different perspective will yield a different result.
1: Yeah. I love that. And also on a different day, right? How many people hear no? And then they're like, well, that must be a no forever. Right. And they just caught this person on a good day where they didn't think they needed your product or service. Right. And so it's so crazy because for it, for me, um, I came from that place where in the last two years, I've done so much work to get that like dirty feeling of sales off of me, right? Like that feeling where you you go to talk to people and then you feel like you need a shower. And the moment that you realize that um, this idea of If I build it, people are going to show up. Like if I build it, they're going to come, right? It doesn't work. And you have to get out there and talk to people. And the only way to do that is to be willing to hear no.
0: And as soon as you understand that, like it changes the game. And then also, and and that, oh, no, go ahead. Well, that no doesn't have to be will you buy my product? no yeah, it could be can I use your garage to store my product? Will you loan me five thousand dollars as an angel investor? Will you make the phone call? And get me on the phone with that guy you know that would help my business you know it's asking for everything that would help your business and making somebody say no and not just going, they won't want to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then what I was going to say too, which I think is something that you hit on that um, I'm not sure if I highlighted enough, so I wanted to highlight again, is that um, those things tools that you were talking about to be able to help people understand um, by, you know, asking them how many they want, getting that, that presumptive close things to that effect. While those feel like such salesy tactics, it's that intention behind it. That's like, Hey, you're either going to take it or you're not. And I think one of the biggest things people need to learn and understand is that if we um, were capable of getting out of our own way to get the products that we need to live a better life, then we would have done it by now. Those tools, are those mindset tools that allow us to help kind of push people out of their own way because they're stuck for a reason and your product or service has the ability to get them unstuck. You kind of deserve to give them that shove, right?
0: And they deserve it too. And, and yeah. people love a great sales pitch. I mean, I yeah. don't. I, I just bought this house here in Arizona and the bug guy came by and he just did it bad. Nah, I'm good, man. I'm not that afraid of scorpions. And then another bug guy comes by and then finally the guy hit me with a dope trial close. And it feels good to say yes, because it wouldn't have felt weird to say no. Like that's part of the rub too, right? Nobody wants to be the one that, that has to be like, no. So there yeah. is a way to have a sales conversation where you're kind of feeling somebody out. Like you're saying, you're trying to make the product solve their issues. And, and we talk about a lot about that in our course that we do about how to make videos. Everything's set up on specifically solving a problem that somebody has. And so probing questions and kind of building, building the value of your product for somebody is way more important than the part where you ask them if they want it. Cause if you've done that, well, you already know the answer before you ask.
1: Yeah, that's, and that's a huge thing too, is, is this is a big topic of conversation in the way the world has changed is that people don't really window shop anymore. By the time you're on the phone with them, they know whether or not they want what you have. It's just whether they're going to get it from you or not.
0: Yep. Yep. And that's Um, again, those impulse factors that, that, that greed, that greed, fear, loss, sense of urgency, indifference of attitude, read about those. They're everything that make up what somebody does to make their decision. So, you know, that's and you'll see them all over in marketing once you start paying attention to them. So just make sure once you're done with how you present your product, go back through and say, is there a part here where I'm talking about how everyone else is using the product, how they're using it, how it's working for them? Have I set up a time frame where you need to make a decision or you won't get the same opportunity later? Have I built that time frame around a sense of urgency that speeds them up? And have I been able to pitch this so well that I can act indifferent about whether you say yes or no? And if you can bake those factors in, it just makes it more alluring. Uh, it's like a fish will hit a, hit a bobber. Remember that bobber that would like look yeah. like it was dead and then the fish would have to hit it in an infomercial from years yeah. ago? You know, that's what impulse factors are. They trigger a reaction in someone that the person doesn't even fully understand. And if you don't use those, you're always going to just be selling somebody something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So before we move on, what is the course that you mentioned? Because I think that based upon just all the value bombs that you've dropped now already, um, it's going to be incredibly useful for people.
0: Yeah. So we, um, we we used to have a video production company. We realized it was very high-end stuff that we sold to the automotive industry. And we, we realized like in 2018 that a cell phone video performed better as an ad than the highly produced you know, sort of thing. Um, So as we evolved our video company, it became an actual Facebook agency where we use these videos to do business development. Um, And the idea is that, you know, imagine you come to my site and I hit you with the product you looked at on the site. And then I have an ad set to go out the next day that's different based on whether you're a male or a female. And then an ad that goes out that's different based on which product you looked at. And then an ad that's conditional based on whether or not you watched my male or female ad. So you build this entire kind of conversational ad structure. And the only thing limiting most people from being able to do that is the ability to make short, relevant content with their phone. Um, so the, the, the course that we put together was the last year I wasn't able to go see my clients. So we were coaching all of their staff on how to make these videos remotely. And I've taken all of that and distilled it down into this course. Uh, it's called Little Videos, Big Results, uh, littlevideosbigresults.com. And it's, uh, right now for listeners of your podcast, if they want, the thing doesn't come out here until, uh, November 1st. So if you get in there now, you can download our basic worksheet and you can have two weeks with the course when it launches entirely free, no money out of pocket at all. And you can dig around in there. There's scripts. We talk about how to create salesy scripts that are based on the problem, the solution that you offer to that problem. That's unique to you. And then the call to action, the thing you'd like them to do. We call it the vanilla ice. If you've got a problem, <laughs> yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook. Uh, you know, so it's really about how to, how to think about how to sell your business, how, how to take apart the, the, the solutions your business offers and turn those into salesy videos that are short and easy to make, and then how to operate the actual camera so that it's very easy for you. And it's not a big, um, you know, it's not a big, it doesn't involve a lot of thought process, how to hold it to where you're, you become the actual selfie uh, stick. And you can just talk like you would if you were talking to somebody. Um, but we go over you know, everything you need to know from how to hold the phone, write the scripts, where to put the videos, how to decide which videos to do, how to, how to create testimonials and everything. And it's really a business kit because whether you're using videos for advertising, whether you're using them to put on your website, whether you're using them to go out as autoresponders in an email, whether you're sending them to people as one-off things, whether you're prospecting with them or following up with them. Um, video is not a magic trick. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a mode of business and you have to be able to put it in the right spot in order for it to work. So or, it's not about making videos. It's about understanding all the slots that are in your business now that would be helped by, by videos and then lowering the bar so you don't feel like making a video is such a big ask.
1: I think that's really cool because so much of what you just mentioned, even down to the little how to's are the excuses that people use and people being me um, use for why they um, don't make videos. Right. Well, I don't know where to put it and I don't know how to make it. And they're all such crazy, stupid excuses um, yep. and then you said, okay, well, here's the solution.
0: So what do you here's got next? Well, yeah. and video is unique because every time you do one, you improve. Yeah. So my daughter, six weeks ago, my daughter didn't know how to swim. Then she got in and she could swim then she could go under. I taught her how to sit under. Then she could swim under. Then she was cannonball. Now she dives head first. Then she was diving and plucking toys off the bottom. But the moral of the story is she's never regressed. Every time she gets in the pool, she's a little better at swimming than the time before. And video is one of the only things in the world that's like that. Every video you make, when you look at it and go, God, I hate that. Okay, well, fix it. Yeah. And you will. Um, I have nervous tics that I never knew I did till I started seeing myself on video. That's why people hate the video because they, they don't like what they're seeing. Well, then fix it. That is your hair. Uh, we've had people go, I'm too ugly for a video. Well, then you're too ugly to talk to a customer, bro. We can see you. The video's not the fault. You know, it's not the video's problem. Um, so the trick is that you want to be in front of the camera so much that you get comfortable. My hair right now, I pulled this hat off. Well, I'm, I've already went this far. I can't hide it now, but it's terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I have no fear that somebody's going to see me and go, wow, he has bad hair because I put so much video out there of myself that what you're likely to think is he's having a bad hair day. So it's like overcome the, the, Oh, you know, I'm about to do a video that nervousness shouldn't be there. So we have a lot of jokes in the course. Obviously that's my personality. One of our slides is of a guy from the 1800s looking just terrible in his (laughs) outfit. And it's like, you know, if it's the 1800s and there's only one picture of you taking every 40 years, bro, get nervous. They're going to think you liked that hat. If your overalls don't fit, they're going to think that that's how you look for 50 years, you know, get nervous, but we don't live in that environment anymore. And if you're in sales, you know, a video is just the ability to get your voice inflection, your tone of voice, your face, the excitement you have for the product to somebody who's not in front of you in that moment, right? So it's just you. It's The video isn't some magic trick. It doesn't steal your soul. You know, when I was deployed, we chased the, the kids in Afghanistan around with a camera. They would run from a camera more than they would a rifle because they'd seen rifles oh. their whole life. Um, you know, they were terrified of the camera and I come back and we've got People who are salespeople act in the same way and they're just costing themselves money. So video is unique in that way that there's no regression. You'll make the first one. It'll suck. It's supposed to suck. It's not supposed to be good and it's not a sign that you'll not have success at this. <laughs> um, again, another metaphor. I was an artillery guy. We never hit the target on the first shot. You know, We missed by a quarter of a mile and then we would adjust until we were putting it in the doorway. That's, how, that's by design. We were never supposed to hit the target on the first try. And video is the same way. Make it. You're not obligated to send it to anybody. Pick it part in your mind, remake it and understand that that's a very valuable process that's training you up on how to not suck and you're doing it and you don't have to share it until you feel like it's shareable.
1: You know there's so much information in what you just said that is super powerful but the one that's sticking out of my head and I had never thought about it like this before is and and it screams to me because I waited so long to put this podcast on video. The first like 100 episodes of this podcast are audio only because I didn't want to do video with them and when you're like dude if you think you're ugly on video, you're ugly in real life, right? Like yeah. that's an all like and and the reality is like you're never as bad as
0: you think you are, but you say the reality is what, it doesn't actually mean you're ugly in real life, Yes, but that's how you look. So don't and
1: you know if that's the mentality that you have going into any sales conversation, you're not thinking about your product or service. You're yep. thinking about what people are thinking about the Well, way and that just you know love, that right? the most
0: beautiful people in the world look at pictures and video of themselves and hate it. So it's the fact that you look at yours and hate it is not proof that you're ugly. It's proof that yeah, you're ugly. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Um but it's so crazy because we don't connect the two. So we think, oh I'm I, I'm not going to do video and instead I'm going to go outside and I'm going to talk to people because for yes. some reason I'm different. Um the moment I walk out my door and I talk to people instead. Like no, it, so it, I just it's think it's that's disposable. There's
0: not they they don't feel the permanence to a conversation yeah. with your neighbor. Um, but video doesn't have that permanence either. I mean there's hundreds of thousands of hours of video being uploaded online every hour. Uh, so you know, get over yourself. You're not that important, <laughs> and and this won't. And if and if you are that important, then this won't be the only video somebody sees from you, anyways. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So I want to step back for just a minute. um, And I want to go back to something you said in the very beginning, because this I think is one of the biggest things that stops entrepreneurs and business owners from growth and scaling their business. And that is when you said that one of your goals was that you wanted to be so good at stuff that you were better at it than the person who was asking you to do it. And your boss would just ask you to do it and walk away. And what I hear the most from business owners and entrepreneurs that are talking about growth is if I don't know how, I, how to do it, then how can I ask somebody else to? So what is your um, advice in that world to help people understand that they don't need to know how to do everything in their business? They just need to know how to find people
0: who do. Um, they're not going to like this answer. You can't, you have to know how to do. I mean, the, like I told you, I've got this guy out here right now building my patio. And like I told you, I stood over him for the first 12 hours because I want to know how to build a patio so that I know how to tell whether or not someone else knows how to build the patio. When you become to the point where you're really scaling businesses, it's not about always finding somebody to do something you don't know how to do. Sometimes it's just finding somebody to take over something you are already doing. So a, you should know it yourself and then you know exactly how to tell someone to do it or you should know how to gauge whether or not they're doing it well and and, 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 and then make the best hire you can. but hire for them to teach you. if if you know the first time I had somebody cut, I have an Australian shepherd, big dumb, beautiful, flowing hair, the first time I, I, I he needed a haircut, I paid them to do it. But I said, "I'm not leaving. I'm just going to stand right here while you do it." And then I watched how she did it, and then I was like, "I'm not. I'm, I would do a better job. I just didn't have thinning shears. So it's thinning shears. <laughs> Got it, right? So w- w- when you pay somebody, pay them to teach you." not to do it for you. And in that teaching, you'll learn more about it. And that's one of the ways you can come in, come across a skill that you don't know. Otherwise, look for people who are in your position. This is one of those make them say no to you things. Call a competitor and say, how do you solve this problem? And they'll tell you. Call a friend, call a mentor, right? So make make the best hire you can, but don't walk away. Don't hire somebody and go, it's your patio to build. I'll be inside, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, this guy speaks Spanish. I'm out here with my phone every like half an hour talking to him through the translation apps because I want him to know not only am I watching you, but I want him to know I'm watching you. Right. Um, so make sure that when you hire, when you spend money to have somebody do something for you, that you're getting that investment. You're getting that investment back by simply observing the process and learning from it. Right. Um, but as a business owner, you know, you should have that desire to know the different parts of your business so that you can judge how well they're being done. Uh, but yeah it's not a direct answer to your question but the answer no it is, is. it's great th- th- there's no reason to trust don't trust trust but verify hire the right person the best you can but do not walk away until you could do that job then you're free to ignore it because now you know how to tell if it's being done right
1: You know, and what I love about that answer so much is that you're going to find so many people in this world that have this scarcity mindset that they're afraid of you learning how to do it. Because if you know how to do it, then you won't need them. And those people are not as good at their job as they're telling you that they are. No, If they are, you will always need them.
0: That's like the chief piece of advice that I give younger people who don't want to own a business is that you need to be a key player on two fronts, two roles. If one of your roles is sales, then the other one can be knitting and you're ready to go make a lot of money, right? Because you can find someone to do the like fulfillment, the marketing, and, the, and you're just knitting and selling, right? Um, but if not, find a complementary skill set to the one you've been developing because not every boss out there is looking to take advantage of you. I, I talked to so many millennials who believe they've, they've broken their connection with your pay equals your value and i had an employee one time i said you get paid what you're worth so you provide the value first and then ask for the money he goes no you get paid what you ask for i'm like all right homie well you you (laughs) don't hear yes when you ask unless you're worth it we can do this all day but so get valuable first get paid second and so you know the way to do that is to focus on two jobs that you can do and and just to say this very simply I've got everyone on my team does more than one role. So my video guy also hangs Facebook ads. Um, I've also got a Facebook ads guy that knows a little bit about video. They're cross-training each other. I've got a CTO that's involved in client community. So the point is, think of every business like a bank robbery. You need a safe guy, getaway guy, stick-up man, right? If you can be the stick-up man and then hop in the driver's seat and drive away, I now, you now get two-fifths of the bounty when we rob the bank, Right. So think about that in terms of not just how can I be so good that my boss leaves me alone to do the job, but how could I be so good that I'm now doing two jobs and I've reduced the buffering? He doesn't need to talk to two people now. He can just talk to me and there's no buffering between me and me, so I'm getting more done. So if I was going to hire one job for 80 and another job for 80, if you can do both jobs, I will pay you 180. 200, right? Because you're worth more. So don't focus just on being great at what you do, but focus on that complimentary set. so that when you find the right team to be on, you're immensely valuable to them and understand that value is relative to scarcity. If I can find somebody, like I'm coaching one of my employees right now and he's like, so if I do this, I make my money. Okay. But make sure you understand that your money is a tied to how much I'd have to pay to replace you, not how much I like you.
1: Wow, that your value is tied to how much I would pay to replace you. That's super, super crazy. I've never heard it said that way before, Um, but I love that. And I think that so step in and do two jobs. You know,
0: if Mark Cuban said, "Hey, come work for me tomorrow," I'm not saying how much am I getting paid. I'm saying what are you putting me in charge of? Yeah, because if you're gonna put me in charge of running your crypto division within a year, I'm worth a million dollars. I don't need the money. I need the responsibility. I need the work. So, you know, it allows you to go in Like for this guy. What we're telling him is do a job you're not getting paid for right now. You know why? Because I'll let you because nobody else would let you do this job. You're not qualified. I'm letting you do it for free. And at the end of the year, you now can come back to me and go, you would need three people to replace me, pay me
1: yes i love it okay so i want to switch gears just a minute here and of course we were talking about before um we actually hit recording came on today that of all the things that you've tried to do the thing that actually got attention was you running around outside in the snow right and so with that being done you have this video out um that went viral of you defending your house against this um i don't know crazy dude um how did that First of all, become a thing. Like, what caused you to post that? How did that actually make it out into the world?
0: I don't even know. It's it was so weird. Um, the the story is basically, I had this video company, and I lived upstairs, and then downstairs we had a ton of video equipment. And an employee had left late, and like a regular homeless junkie guy in Seattle had, had we caught him on the cameras sleeping in the downstairs. And when he left, I'm thinking he could have walked away with a backpack that had sixty thousand dollars worth of cameras in it. And he didn't, but he was looking in the, he was looking. He's like, you know, I could tell he's coming back, bro. So I had spent the week on Facebook downplaying it to everybody, calling this guy Mr. Wronghouse, which ended up being the name of the video. Now I'm mis- known as Mr. Wronghouse. <laughs> um, but I, but I, so he comes back at like nine and he sets off a dinger. And I go outside, like essentially in my underwear, to confront him, thinking that once he once he finds out that the door is locked this time, he'll leave. And he makes his way all the way around the house and is trying to break into the upstairs part where my wife and, and family is. Um, so yeah, I I went from like wanting to warn him not to come back to like, well, you know, now we have to have a confrontation. And he didn't feel like waiting to talk to the police, and he tried to haymaker me, and he gets huckled down the stairs in a rather hilarious way, and catches an unfortunate beating dead center in the security frame of this camera. And so I posted it thinking it'd get like 2000 views. And then I texted this local news lady and I'm not kidding. 45 seconds after I texted her, she knocked on the door and I'm oh like, gosh. you must be the best reporter in the world. She's like, why she had no idea. I'd even texted her. It was just a fluke. She had read the police blot- blotter thing and like, you know, knew something crazy had happened in one of the story. And she told me, Every time something crazy happens on a security camera, it gets a million views. And I thought, a million (laughs) views? You know, ended up getting 40 million. And, you know, it's on TV every other day on one of the caught on camera shows. But so I did the news thing with them and I did it with Fox and I did it with CBS and I I watched all the local news and I went to bed. I totally forgot that the national news pulls from like those cues. So apparently while I'm sleeping in Seattle, I was on Good Morning America, Fox and Friends (laughs) on every radio show, you know, so like – I had a full fifteen minutes, so we turned it into the Mister Wronghouse Charity, which is aimed at raising money to, to get service dogs to veterans with PTSD. It turns out it is not only the number one probability-wise uh, way to save a veteran's life, but it is also the most cost-effective way. Service dogs for PTSD only cost like five thousand dollars, as opposed to fifty or sixty for a blind dog. Um, so we've been able to actually outfit dozens of. of uh, yep, speak of the devil, here he is. Hey, do not? Um,
1: he's like, but you're talking about, me. yeah, he's like, like I'm supposed is, to be a part of this right now.
0: This is my part of the show. Um, yeah, he hears the Amazon guy. They have a very special relationship. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's been one of the ways that we were able to pivot out of that. Everybody was calling me slugger for like six months. So, uh, <laughs> so we've pivoted now, but you know, we still, to this day, I catch it on TV. I get tagged on it, blogs, pick it up, but it ended up being like my 15 minutes of fame. If you guys ever want to see the video, just uh search mr wronghouse uh, i show this video to clients all the time it's 5 years old now and they go wait a minute i've seen this video <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're like if you haven't been living under a rock you have right yeah, apparently. um i think that it's so cool as a dog owner as somebody who, um, has a history of suicide in my family, as somebody who has a huge support for our veteran community. Um, I just think what you've turned this into is fantastic. And I wanted to give an opportunity for the people listening to this to support in any way that they can. So what is the best way for people to continue to support you in that mission to get service dogs for veterans? Uh, well,
0: so Paul, reach, you know, if you find Mr. Wronghouse charity on Facebook, reach out and I can give you guys some great local charities. I've just moved to Arizona. So the person. I used to donate to in Seattle who is custom raising dogs, um, is no longer part of our operation. So we're still looking for a new place to allocate funds this year. Um, so I don't have that person in place, but if you want to help pause the stripe is an unbelievable organization. They save dogs and veterans. They pull dogs from the pound and give them to veterans. Um, personally, I like to give veterans a, a fresh puppy because every year they're with that dog before the dog passes is crucial. I don't want to give a veteran, a five-year-old dog that may only make it to 10, if I can give them a one-year-old dog. And also, I'm a big believer in Australian shepherds because they're just naturally PTSD dogs. They're constantly wrapped up in your business. If you get stressed out, they'll come intervene. They post, and one of the biggest things service dogs do for veterans is they post, which is basically sitting in front of them and looking behind them. So I have PTSD. I'm hyper vigilant. I'm always scanning. But if the dog is in front of me looking behind me, I just look at the dog. And if he's calm, I'm calm. Um, so yeah, it's a very, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing. So anyways, I can help you find, I'm, I'm looking into it now. I can help you find an Australian shepherd breeder here and a trainer. We're putting together our own like facilities now here in Arizona, but I don't have that put together yet. So you can reach out and message me, or you can always just find Paws and Stripes. They're a really great organization, uh, saving veterans and dogs.
1: Love it. And if they want to reach out, what's the best way for people to contact you? Uh,
0: to contact me personally is, uh, facebook.com slash emmerstan. Which is my name, E M E R S T A N. It's sort of a pen name I came up with in Afghanistan, um, and or you can find the Mister Wronghouse Charity on Facebook and message that, and we'll we'll help you get to the right get, get your money to the right people here uh, that are both breeding and training these dogs for veterans.
1: Awesome. All right. I want to make just a little bit of a shift here. This is the More Than Corporate podcast. We talk about what designing your life looks like, defining your own idea of success and building from there. So I ask every single one of my guests this question What does success mean to you? How do you define that on this global macro scale of like what's successful
0: in life and business? So I like thought experiments. Um, I like to design my life the way I would if it was a video game. And that's something we used to preach to people back when we were selling toys is like you walk in, the guy says, get a real job, it hurts you. But what if you're playing a video game? He'd be interesting because there's no stakes, right? You'd you'd go in and the guy who's, you know, it'd be fun. So for me, success has been about looking at the entire avatar profile, right? So if you want to have a successful life, it cannot all be about money there has to be parts of your life that matter to you more than the money. And the money has to be the vehicle to go get those parts established. So you asked like what I wanted when I, when I was a kid, one of the things I wanted when I was a kid is the only wear clothes. I designed, I designed this. I have a whole oh, that's awesome. uh, line of clothes. So the, the idea is uh jump. It's the jump in lifestyle brand, but our motto is jump first, land later. Um, partly an that's entendre simple. to me being a paratrooper. Um, but you know, so it's, it's things like that, that matter to me. So um, there's like, I'm I'm trying to buy my neighbor's house because I've always joked about owning a cul-de-sac and I'm working on it. I actually just bought another house right up the road from me for us to build the company in. So I'm taking over real estate. That's something I wanted. And people are like, why are you doing that? I don't know anyone else that would do that. I had a friend that I play FIFA with and he's like, you told me five years ago you were going to do that. And I just thought you were crazy. And I'm like, no, homie, I'm doing all the stuff I said I was going to (laughs) do. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I have a, I have a golf cart. I drop my daughter off at school on the golf cart and pick her up every day on the golf cart. That's a zero barrier for me. I might travel for a day or two for business, but if I'm home, I will pause everything to pick up and drop off at school. So you have to have things that are immovable objects in your life. If everything can be moved for money, if everything can be shuffled around for money, then you're going to find you never have enough money. I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah. But if you let principles lead you and guide you, um, then then everything else gets out of your way. So you have to really know the answer to who do you want to be? How do you want to be seen by other people? And, and I spend almost all of my time working on just that, that I'm uh, a good example for my employees, for my daughters, for my family. Um, so you really have to understand what it is that will make you happy and not just what it is that will put money in your hands. Because the some of the saddest people I've met are people who've backed themselves into a corner they have all the money in the world, but steak. You know, when you eat crappy steak every day, a, a two hundred dollar steak will set you off. But when you eat two hundred dollar steak every day, there ain't nowhere to go but down.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, it's so true.
0: So yeah, I mean, I think I think if if I was gonna distill that as advice, read, do the what would Quincy do? Find a character in a book. Find a uh, find a person in your life, and 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 find things that you want to be, not things you want to have, and, and aim for those.
1: I love it. And then the kind of inverse of that, um, we have this big overreaching and, and you may have already answered this. So if you feel like you already did, then that's cool. Um, but we have this overreaching idea of what success means and that definition for us. How do you make sure that every single night when you go to sleep, that that day has been a success? Are there markers that you pay attention to in this? What would Quincy do lifestyle?
0: Um, Yes. So yeah, you got to write down your goals. Um, you know, I, I, my life really took off in the last 18 months. We decided my director of operations and I, that every day was going to start with me picking him up on the golf cart, uh, on the way home from dropping my daughter off. And we catch a workout first thing in the morning. And we talk about the things we'd like to have accomplished that day. Some days I'm, I'm off work by 11 and I'm done for the day. And that happens and that's fine. And so it's not my job to burn the entrepreneurial coal until 2 a.m. every day if I got done everything I wanted to do. Having said that, a lot of days we don't get it all done by 7 and we're up till 2, right? So, (laughs) um, you know, define what you'd like to see from each day so you have the ability to go, "Ah, I'm done. If you don't know what you're doing, if you're not running a 5K, you're just running, then you never cross the finish line.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's such powerful advice for us as entrepreneurs because we're never done, right? That to-do list is
0: never done. Never. You're never so caught up. Ever. So no,
1: ever. So like if you can say, this is what I want to get done today, then that gives you permission to end your day. Otherwise, like you just end up, like you just said, just working and working and working. Yep. Under that We live in a world mentality. now where we're
0: working from home. Yeah. So you also have to be able to close the office door at some point and go, well, that was that. I'm done. Yeah. And I got to have enough left that I can go, you know, read who, who, you know, who catch that pickle or whatever the book is at night. I got to be able to be present. My wife's in here cooking. If I can't slow down and eat it, that's an insult to her. If I can't be there to talk over dinner, if I can't go swimming with my daughter at night or go for a night, you know, we've got 15 parks that are within golf cart range here. And we it's like clubbing for her. She's like, let's go to Princess Pickle Park. <laughs> See who's there. Um, you know, so if I can't get, I, I wouldn't consider it a successful day. I mean, obviously there's times I work right through to two, it happens, but those are always very productive days. If, if I don't have, if I can't be that productive, I got to save a little bit in the tank to go put those that work into the other areas of my life to go clean my pool, you know, to go, so, you know, to go spend time with my daughter, you know, to design the next piece of gear for the, I actually take that as a hobby, not work, you know, next hat or next thing we want to do. So if you want to see, you know, look at your life and all your goals as download bars. And you can't let the computer just download the bar that takes six years. (laughs) You know, you got to spread that download time around and make sure you've got a fully healthy life. Your house is clean. It gives you this sense of, hey, I'm on top of things. Um, You cannot work yourself into a hole. I've done it twice in my life and it, it never works. And as soon as I started to live my life based on principles of things I wouldn't do, things that I cared about enough to do, and and I all of a sudden, everything I touched turned to gold. And it seemed like the world sort of got out of my way a little bit, almost like it didn't want me to succeed when I was doing it the wrong way.
1: Wow, that's really powerful. Um, and that idea of what do you have to do or what not have to, but what is non-negotiable for you? Um, to do and what is non-negotiable for you not to do? like Those are yep. really important questions. If somebody ask.
0: said, hey, I'll pay you a hundred grand to come for five days and do blah, 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 I, It's as impossible to me as dunking on a 14 foot rim. I don't <laughs> leave my ha- my house for more than two days unless the whole family's coming with me. So I'd probably just, I'd probably just bring them all, take the hundred yeah. grand, but you get the idea. <laughs> I'm not leaving. It is a zero, uh, it is a zero, you know, a uh, negotiator for me that certain things, are the life I've wanted to live since I was a kid living that life's more important to me than, than stacking up opportunity everywhere I look.
1: Wow. I love it. Okay. So I've saved this question intentionally because I'm really excited for it. I, um, My life, you talked about when your life and business took off, my life and business took off when I started running obstacle course races. And it has a direct correlation between the willingness to stare fear in the face and say, you know what, screw you and keep going and what you're willing to do in your life and business. And so I have to know, you mentioned you were a paratrooper. We know you have this military. Um, You're in this perfectly operational plane and somebody tells you that you have to jump out of it. What, what is that experience like for you?
0: Well, I, from the moment I got on the plane, every single time I was 1000% convinced that I wasn't leaving it this time. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Um, but what ends up happening is they, they put you on this tarmac. You're standing around for three hours. You're exhausted. You've got 150 pounds worth of crap and you've got a bag over your legs and everything else. Then they load you on the plane. And you jump out 15 minutes away from where you take off, but they'll fly around for three or four hours, you know, just doing <laughs> in circles. Uh, and for one, it's questionable whether or not a C-130 is a perfectly good plane. <laughs> okay. Who's got to get that out of the way? If you've ever landed in one, you start thinking about jumping out. Um, but what ends up happening is I, I would just sit there until the claustrophobia was more important to me than, than the anxiety of jumping out. And then the moment they pop that door open and all the fresh air hits you, it's like, hook, I'm, h- hook me up. I'm getting the hell out of here, you know. Um, and then when you land, it's, you know, it's just fantastic. Other than the fact that you just blew your knee out because you don't, <laughs> you don't like, it's not like there's paddles and you're up there, like, you know, going left <laughs> and right. You just drop. Um, but yeah, it it, it it is a very silly thing. You wonder what you're doing up there. Uh, and I had more jumps than most because I figured out that you could b- volunteer for jumps and it broke your whole week up. You got a day off before the jump and then the jump and then the day after the jump was off. And they often did the jumps on Wednesday. So you had Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off. So Friday was always like, you know, you were out of the loop. You weren't involved in everything. Monday, they couldn't get you involved in anything because you had to go on Tuesday. It was like a week <laughs> off for this six hours worth of hell, you know? Um, That's
1: amazing.
0: So, and but I hated it. I mean, I hated it more than anybody there. And every time I would do it, I would do it with the memory of landing. And then as the soon as I showed up at the place, I was just like, I'm not jumping this time. This is stupid. I don't even know why. <laughs> and then they'd trap me on the plane and the whole thing would happen again. But yeah, I never really did it willingly. It really You don't have much of a choice.
1: I think that it's just so interesting the way that that, Um, first of all, you describe it in, you're obviously creative and I love your style. I'm super excited to check out your course because um, you bring so much fun into things. Um, But I just think that those, your life has just been a series of putting yourself in situations that you don't necessarily want to be in because you know it's going to better you. And and I just think that that's fantastic.
0: Well, that's, That all, I mean, the most valuable thought experiment you can do is to pluck yourself is like the Quincy thing, but different, but pluck yourself out of your situation and make and, and take like, I've met a lot of people that come to me and they say, what should I do here? And I mean, I give them fantastic advice and then they don't, they don't do it. They know it's what they should do, but they don't do it. I, I, I don't understand that. I, for whatever better or worse, the only skill I've ever had in my life is if I say at night, if I get drunk and say, that's it, I'm not smoking cigarettes anymore. I mean, that happened to me. And then I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have a problem programming myself to do a certain thing. So if I know joining the military will you know, introduce me to people, fix my credit, get my points back online, you know, give me some discipline in my life, help me save up some money, and, and, and a plan I, the other plan I have doesn't look as good, then I, can, I have the ability to just make a decision and stick with it. But I also have that ability to go no more 12-hour days, no more leave my – whatever it is. So yeah, people just need to really focus on that energy of can I change on a dime? If I know what the right move is, can I take it? And if you can get yourself there, then man, life becomes super easy because you can call around and get advice and you can really think and stop and go, what should I do? And then if you're able to just do that after you realize that you're on your way, it's like yeah, the video absolutely. thing. You're always, you're never going to regress. You're going to be better every day. You'll be okay. I love but people it. It's stuck in their mind and they get so worried about their comfort. No matter who you are or how old you are, if you're 26 now, think back on 21 year old you, they're an idiot. they are stupid. Their concerns mean nothing to you. Their comfort is worthless to you, right? 21 year old, you should go do something that would benefit you. That's the way you look at it, right? Always. So if you're 25, just know there'll be a 31 year old, you, and they're looking back at you and you're an idiot and you don't have all the right ideas that you think you do. And you should just shut up and do something that they'll appreciate. Um, so, we also have this thing that we talk a lot about internally of, uh, my, my director of operations, Dave, we, we joke all the time about past Dave because we'll wake up and we need a folder and then we'll find it there named already and completely done. And we're like, hell yeah. Thanks. Past Dave." <laughs> um, so the idea That's is awesome. like, like the Starbucks line, pay it forward to yourself.
1: Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. So we're going to wrap up with a quick random round before we do that. What is the best place for people to follow up on this conversation with you?
0: If they um, want to connect. People- Yeah. If people want to talk to me, the very easiest place, facebook.com slash Emmerstan, E-M-E-R-S-T-A-N. Being that I own a Facebook business development agency, Facebook is my preferred method of everything. So I'll probably, I'll probably, you know, obviously that's messenger, not Facebook. Uh, but that is the best way to find me because then I can send you a video response back and not waste my time typing.
1: Look at that. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So quick random round. If you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what profession do you think would be fun to attempt?
0: stand-up comedy I don't do stand-up comedy for the simple reason that you cannot do it from home and I it would put me on the road which we've talked about so it is yeah. my dream it's the only thing I want to do sitting up late with comedians you know talking and everything else and I've got a pick do I want to have a, a slightly doper life and no one looking at me when I'm dying or do I want to have a family standing there when I'm dying and not get to hang out with comedians all through my 40s uh, Good choice, but no, I think h- hands down I want to do it But my biggest fear people I have a I have a 10-minute bit that's perfect. It's hilarious. I've got 15 years into this 10 minutes and I do it at parties and stuff. People are like, you got to do it at amateur hour. You got to come with it. And I won't go because what happens if they love it? You know, what happens if, I, <laughs> if they cheer as hard as I think they will? And I'm hooked. You know, there's no way to get then you a
1: you homeschool your daughter and you, you take your, your wife on take the, road, her on the living, road,
0: right? Oh dude, I will do it too. Don't tempt me with a good time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so hands down, the only thing I would possibly do for forget pay. Um, I'm 40 now, so I can no longer say play for the Seattle Sounders. Uh, I'm 38. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, hands down, stand-up comedy, because doing door-to-door sales was basically stand-up comedy with a bag of toys on your hip. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's the only time I've ever heard anybody describe um, door-to-door sales like that, and I love it. Um, I'm really interested to hear your answer to this next question because I'm in love with Quincy right now. So if you could time travel, where would you go and why?
0: Forward or back?
1: Forward or back, um, generations, centuries, or whatever. Anywhere Man. you want to go, you have all the freedom in the world.
0: Um, I mean, I'm not that charmed by by backwardsness. Um and, and 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 you're going there to live or are you visiting?
1: You're just visiting. You can come back. Oh,
0: okay. Well, that's something. Uh I, I have this fear that I'm not gonna live long enough to see I, I everything I do is for my daughters. I mean, that's, that's all I care about. Um, mean I do things that are selfishly inclined, but the grain scheme of things, it's all about them. So I would like, I mean, I guess I'm doubling down here because maybe I live long enough to see it either way. Um, but I would like to make sure that I get one way or another to see my daughter at my age and see how she's progressed as a leader of men, you know, uh, somebody who's not reactive to the world, Um, but the bowling ball and not the pins. I just want to see how she carries herself, who her Quincy's are and what mannerisms she's stolen from strangers.
1: Wow. That's really powerful. As somebody who lost my dad when I was 17, that is the favorite answer that anybody has ever given me.
0: Oh, it's, 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 I mean, what are we doing if, if, uh, if we're not doing that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, books. I'm a huge proponent that we learn through reading other people's experiences and stories. Um, What is the book that you have recommended the most to people in a business,
0: sales, or entrepreneurial space? So I actually have a stack of these books, hands down, 100% The Alchemist. Um, For me, as a traveling boy and having a big affinity for the idea of shepherds and I, be, I believe massively in omens and serendipity. This book is kind of a fairy tale, but it, it is the, the sort of narrative backdrop for how I view the world um, that I can affect change and that th- my attentions and thoughts are the only power that I have and da 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 So hands down, read The Alchemist. It doesn't hit everybody because they don't understand the sort of, you know, metaphysical backdrop that it's being, you know, cast on. So I actually have everybody read three books. Um, and I don't ever tell them what these books are, but since I only get one shot for your listeners, I'm going to give them the whole regimen now. Um, so first you read The Alchemist and it gives you sort of a fictional backdrop for how to contr- how to pick a point in the future and, and, and manipulate the world to give it to you. Um, then you read Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich is very formulaic. When people talked about the secret, it was like, write your goals down and then you'll get them. It was such a stupid way to talk about the secret. Think and Grow Rich is more like if the secret was a cooking book, right? This is the exact actions you need to take to take your attention and turn it into physical actions and items and results, right? So first you read the fiction version of it, which is the alchemist. Then you read think and grow rich, which gives you the playbook for exactly how to go about your day and write down your goals and frame your, frame your goals and everything else. And then you read the screw tape letters, which is a story about two, uh demon or about these two demons writing stories back and forth and the idea is that they're putting these suggestions you have angels it's like a story about like angels versus demons and you have an angel assigned to you they make it seem like they live in an office and send memos and you have a demon that's assigned to you and it's kind of like the uh the angel on your shoulder thing yeah. so the demon's job is to go remind amber that her friends have had been a success for longer than she has been and that <laughs> she so it's like so you realize like you realize by reading that book that not every thought in your head is yours, and you don't need to own it. and You don't need to care about it. Some of them, it just dissolve. they need to just be flipped out of there or ignored. But they're still there, but that doesn't make them important. And the reason that these work so well together is that after somebody's read Think and Grow Rich, they were having negative thoughts in their head. This wouldn't work. I'm not sure. And so when they read the Greek tip letters, they're like, oh, shit, there was two people reading that book while I was reading it, and I should have ignored one of them.
1: Um, oh my gosh. Wow. And so
0: then I kind of have them read those all over again. So the alchemist gives you a backdrop for what we're doing. The thinking grow rich tells you exactly how to control your thoughts so that you attract what you want. And it's root tape letters shows you how to ignore the other half that isn't saying the, the thoughts that are going to help you.
1: Love it. And my very last question, I'm a music nerd. And so I always have to ask this, what is your pump up song? What is that? Thing You're going to be oh, disappointed. It is no. so,
0: it is so stupidly cliche answer. Um, when payday, when payday hits, I have like a track of like five, essentially Drake songs that I listen to that, that like, I just sit here and jam out the invoices on, but, um, (laughs) I don't even know the names of them, but I I listen to working on the weekend, working on the weekend, like usual. Uh, and I'm talking in one day, I'll hear it. (laughs) There's only four songs on the playlist. And then, um, and then the other one is started at the bottom, which literally there is no, I mean, you know, That's self-explanatory, right? I just listen to trashy Spotify rap songs.
1: (laughs) Your life sounds awesome. Quincy would be happy. No,
0: Quincy would love that. Yeah, I still am trying to track him down. He's only 45 now. I'm trying to get him in my current organization.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So I've never done this before, and I'm really excited to do it now. Um, When we were talking before we went on about the ideal listener and who they are and what they – feel and and their pain and their growth. You shared a poem with me. Will you close us out by reading that?
0: Yes. Um, so you had mentioned that, you know, people find themselves in a spot that they that that's their spot, but it's not exactly where they where they should be. Um, and so uh, this poem I wrote in the back of a Humvee about to go to Afghanistan thinking this is not my spot and this is not where I should be. Um, but I also I didn't know What that was yet. I didn't know where my spot was. So, the most important thing for anyone to do is understand where they'd like to be, what they're made to do, what will bring them joy. Start there. It's like a business plan. If you don't know what success looks like for you, the human being, then how will you ever give it to yourself? You'll just go work for somebody who pays you slightly more. Um, So, the idea is that arcade is uh, the word we start with here. I guess I don't need to give the preface because it's sort of in there. So, it's arcade is the inherent purpose or use of an object, what it does and why it is. Knives are sharpened and hardened, so the arcade of a knife is the cut. Infinitely difficult it is to find the arcade of man in his mind. Unlike the forged properties of a sword or knife, no man is formed the same and nor is his life as a piece of steel is before refined, such as a man when he's not defined. A knife formed in fire knows to cut. It has no desire. It has no want. It's bestowed at creation with purpose, given its arcade. Enviable is the life of such a knife. It cuts when swung and meets its fate. The knife does not love and knows no hate. Forged by a man from steel to blade, it's given its purpose by whom it's made. But how does man find his own arcade?
1: I love that so much. I do. And I think the thing that just screams at me the most about that is where um you talk about that being given its purpose by us, right? And and that's really what this entire thing boils down to is, you know, my tagline is design your life and have the courage to live it, right? Like love that. figure out what you want your life to be and then quit being a pain in the ass and go out and live it, I love it, that. Right? The first part of it, so, design
0: your life is the Quincy thing and 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 the and the second or, or is the Arcade thing and then All right. I'm sorry. Say it one more time.
1: Design your life and have the courage to live it.
0: There you go. So design your (laughs) life is the arcade thing and courage to live it is the Quincy thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andrew, thank you so much. I know we've gone over time, but it was just so amazing to talk to you. And I love what you're up to. You gave so many value bombs with sales. um, And I'm really looking forward to seeing what people are able to do with the course that you've created. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
0: Amber, thank you. I'm going to go harass this patio guy some more now.
1: I like it. I like it. Take your translator up. (laughs)
0: will do it's the only way to talk to him